We're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, what runs in your family What runs in your family? Curly hair? Freckles? What runs in your family? One of the things that runs in my family is a high squeaky laugh among the men. Uh, I remember in raising our four boys, they were kind of embarrassed by their grandfather's laugh. I mean, my dad has a high-pitched laugh. And I I have somewhat of that. It's coming along. But I'll never forget the day in each boy's case where something struck them funny and they laughed out loud and ah! And they realized, oh no, it it runs in the family. What runs in your family? It One of the things that runs in our family, we were with them recently, one of the things that runs in our family is stubbornness. They get that from their mother's side of the family. (laughs) What runs in God's family? We're going to be looking at a large chunk today to answer the question, what runs in God's family? I'm going to suggest that it's the mind of Christ and it's the heart of the Father. Those are two things in particular that run in God's family. Last week, you may recall, we looked at three words. Grumbling or disputing. Grumbling or questioning. We we zoomed in on those words. Now we're going to pull the lens out and really see the whole context. We're going to actually look at from chapter 1, verse 27, through the end of the chapter of 2. Because I think it's whole cloth. And in this large pericope or passage, we're going to see the mind of Christ and the heart of the Father. The key verses really are going to be chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God 
who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work out what God is working in. And what he's working into us is the mind of Christ and the heart of the Father. In this large section, there are two metaphors that Paul uses. The first is sign that the people of God, as they have the mind of Christ, are a sign to the watching world. And secondly, we're a light. We're a light to a dark world. As we have the mind of Christ, we're a sign to a dying world. And as we understand the heart of the Father, we are a light that holds out the word of life. First of all, the mind of Christ. This is chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 8. In chapter 2, verse 5, we read, Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this begins the description of Christ's humiliation, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension. But he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the fourth time Paul talks about the mind in this passage. Back in chapter 1, verse 27 He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Then chapter 2, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He He's repeating again and again, and then it culminates with verse 5 of chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The first way we work out what God is working in is to have the mind of Christ. Again, verse 27 of chapter 1. He says that I may hear of that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. How do we have that? We have it through the mind of Christ. Taking every thought captive to Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the gospel, not frightened in anything by our opponents. Oswald Chambers said the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. Beloved, We live in a fear-filled world. And only we can be free from fear. The key is to fear God. A holy reverence as we work out what he works 
in as an act of worship, it's, it frees us from all the other fears. We live in a fear-filled world, and when we live fearlessly, we are a sign. The psalmist said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fearless. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. Not frightened in anything by our opponents. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Lydia. Fear not, Lydia. He's writing to the little girl that was freed from spiritual and, and literal slavery. He's writing to the Philippian jailer. He's writing to the elders and deacons in Philippi. And he's writing to you and me. Have the mind of Christ, he says. And if we have the mind of Christ, we will become a sign to the watching world. Notice Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. When the church has the mind of Christ, she becomes a sign to the watching world. And then he says in verse 29, something that's so often overlooked for it has been granted to you. There are two gifts that Christ has given us. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Faith and suffering are two gifts that he gives to the church. Helen Rosevere is a name that some of you probably know. She was a missionary. And she, in her own experience was a sign to the watching world. Rebel soldiers were starting at one end of a large room taking women away one by one and bringing them back after they had finished with them. Helen Rosevere's first impulse was to hide and not to have to bear this humiliation again. Then she thought, of Jesus. He put himself forward as a substitute for us. She had the mind of Christ. Have this mind among you that was in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2. He put himself forward as a substitute for us and she moved to the front of the line to try to protect some of the other women from undergoing a new trauma they might possibly have. She looked back later on this whole period and wrote, quote, we learned why God has given us his name as I am. His grace always proves itself sufficient in the moment of need. As I anticipated suffering and thought of what these cruel soldiers would do next, I quivered with fear. But when the moment came for action, God filled me with a peace and an assurance about what to say or what to do that amazed me often 
and often defeated the immediate tactics of the enemy. His answer to her prayers was to remove the fear. And with his arms around her, she was comforted. She felt as if he were saying, when I called you to myself, I called you to the fellowship of sharing in my suffering. Jesus gives us two gifts, faith and suffering. She said, it was as if he was saying, they are not attacking you. They're attacking me. I'm just using your body to show myself to the people around you. So fear not. When the church has the mind of Christ, individually, such as Helen, or corporately together, we become a sign to the watching world. A united, fearless church that has the mind of Christ is a sign to a divided, fear-filled world. A united, fearless, suffering church that strives side by side for the faith is a sign to the world that soon these words will be fulfilled. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Beloved, we have the privilege of being a sign to a divided and fear-filled world. It's the mind of Christ. Secondly, it's the heart of the Father. Again, verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says, children of God, verse 15, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Chapter 2, verse 12 begins with the word, therefore which means Paul's building on something. He's building on a previous therefore, which is found in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The heart of the Father is drawn toward humility. What Paul is saying is, as Jesus humbled himself and was therefore exalted, therefore, now you follow Jesus' example, have the mind of Christ, and the Father will exalt you as well. Because the Father exalted Christ after he made himself nothing, took the form of a servant, humbled himself, and was obedient to the point of death, because the Father exalted Christ, we can let go of our rights. We can live in humble service. We can spend ourselves for the sake of others. We can sacrifice our greatest treasures of time, talent. We can have the mind of Christ because, like Christ, we can trust the heart of the Father. Therefore, God exalted Christ, and then he says in verse 12, therefore, follow the pattern of your Savior. Listen to the heart of the Father. 
We need the, the mind of Christ that unites us, makes us fearless, makes us a sign in the world, and we need to understand the heart of the Father. Listen to the heart of the Father. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. God is moved toward humility, toward the brokenhearted, to the meek. He exalts, exalts, exalts. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. The Father calls the last first and the first last. The Father fills the empty and He empties the full. In short, God overlooks those who demand the world's attention and calls blessed those the world overlooks. This is the, verse 13, God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What does it mean for us to empty ourselves as Christ emptied Him? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ uh, Brian Chapel preached on Philippians 2, the, the famous passage 5 through 11, where you know, Christ, though being equal with God, did, did not cling to his rights, but emptied himself. He said, one Sunday I preached that, I preached it well. Two weeks later, he said, we had a missionary come, and the missionary stood up to preach and said, turn to Philippians 2. And Brian thought, oh, this is a shame. Because I preached, I preached that so well. The missionary said, in a village near where I serve, a, a, a man had fallen into a well, broken his leg, was not able to get out, and no one could go down and get him, and so they ran to the chief and told him the situation. And the chieftain got up in, his, in all his glory, and he came to the well. He saw the need. And then he took off his headdress. And all the vestments that reflected his glory. And he climbed down. You see, the chief was the strongest man in the village. The bravest man in the village. And having emptied himself, he climbs down, puts the man on his back, and climbs back up. That's Philippians 2. Jesus for you and me. He saw you in the well. And he voluntarily set aside his glory and his rights and his privileges and his comfort and took on a human flesh so that Isaiah 53 says he had no beauty that we should desire him. He became overlookable so that when he spoke when he said hey I'm from another place they picked up stones you've got to be kidding us you're so ordinary 
Brian Chappell said, I was standing at the door as people are leaving, and they're coming up to the missionary, and they're saying, oh, thank you so much. I never understood Philippians 2. <laughs> the mind, beloved, what headdress do you need to take off in order to serve your brothers or your sisters? What is it that's hindering you from having the mind of Christ? Is it the headdress of comfort? Is it the headdress of being protective of your time? Is it the headdress of saying uh, love and charity begins in the home and it never goes beyond the home? What is it? What's the headdress that you need to remove in order to have the mind of Christ? The Father exalts the humble and humbles the proud. The Father calls the last first and the first last. The Father fills the empty and He empties the full. In short, God overlooks those who demand the world's attention and calls blessed those the world overlooks. This is the God who is working in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. Do you see that? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The psalmist said, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians 1.5, he destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the counsel of his will, for the praise of his glorious grace. <laughs> God does what he pleases. It's the heart of the Father. He's drawn to the weak and the humble. And he, he exalts those. He exalts the church to be what? A light. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or question that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the world of life. The word of life. We, we are assigned to a perishing world that judgment is coming. We're the handwriting on the wall. But also, we're the light of the world, offering the word of life. As we work out our own salvation, the Father will exalt his people as they shine as lights in the world. Now, the rest of the chapter, chapter 2, Paul uses himself as an example of that. He's willing to be poured out. He has the mind of Christ. Timothy, he, their, their well-being is his great concern. He has the mind of Christ. Epaphroditus almost dies. Again, the mind of Christ putting others ahead of himself. You can read it to, to learn more. My junior year in college, we, Sally and I attended a, a Grove City College, a, a, Christian college, and I had the opportunity to preach to the incoming freshman class. It was orientation week. Many of upperclassmen were on the orientation team. And so I, I preached, and I preached the gospel. And afterwards, my roommate came to me. Uh, he and I had, had literally maybe had one or two nights in our, in our room before the freshmen came and all, and, and he came up to me. We'd, we'd never roomed before, and he said, TK, 
He said, you have something that I don't have, and I want it. And I said, awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll see you back at the room at, you know, two in the morning or whatever, you know, college, college time. Willie was the quarterback of the college football team. He, he could grow a beard over breakfast. Men wanted to be like him. Women wanted to be with him. And here he was, a, literally a, with childlike teachability. Tell me, what, is it, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I walked him through that. I said, you know, the, God is the potter and we're the clay and, and he shapes us as he sees fit. He's working in your heart, Willie, drawing you to himself. Just submit to him. And he, and, and he did that night. He prayed, Lord, if you're the potter and I'm the clay, squeeze me, Lord. Squeeze me. And then the rest of the year, we unpacked what it meant to be, to be believers. And we became, in our fraternity, on that floor, a sign, the judgment that was coming, and we were a light holding out the word of life. I remember very early on, God wanted to work the, the heart of the Father in me as, and, and as he was working the gospel into Willie's heart. Willie uh, exercised a lot as an athlete. He came, it was new having a roommate like him. He, it was probably the next morning. He went running. He came back hot and sweaty. He stripped down to, a jay, to naked as a jaybird, all sweaty, and then sat down on my bed. There's no Bible verse I could quote what was happening. God, God was working in my heart, and he was working in Willie's heart, and we had to work out what he was working in. Willie was just absorbing what it meant to be a new creation. And I was learning what it means to be humble, to be sacrificial, to let him sit on my bed for the sake of the gospel, right? And over the course of that year, we saw Wiss come to Christ and Tim come to Christ and other brothers reject it because we were not just a light holding out the word of life. We were a sign that the parties are coming to an end. That the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of of our God and of his Christ. What a privilege we have as a church. The mind of Christ and the heart of the Father. Now I would be remiss if I didn't make the, the final observation be this whole idea of the difference, the dynamic of human responsibility and divine sovereignty. We, we see that you work out what God is working in. There's, there's that partnership Spurgeon was asked, how do you reconcile human responsibility and divine sovereignty? And he said, why must I reconcile friends? I love that. I love that. Work out what God is working in. Josiah Condor captured it. Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. 
This heart would still refuse thee hadst thou not chosen me. My heart owns none before thee. For thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. So what runs in the family of God? The mind of Christ and the heart of the Father. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that you do all that pleases you. And for those of us who know you, we rejoice that it pleased you to reveal yourself to us. We pray that we would be the church, united with the mind of Christ that would be a sign to the world. And that we would understand the heart of the Father that elevates the humble, that fills the empty, that we might be the delight of the world that holds out the words of life. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.